Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Death, taxes, week one overreactions. We only have one game that's been played to this point. But a full slate on a Blue Friday to look forward to. Help us get ready for it. Joining us now, Charles McDonald covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Been on the program number of times. You can follow him on Twitter at 4Verts. Charles, how goes your Friday before the rest of the week one slate? Oh, it's great. We got to watch a pretty good game today. It's nice outside. I live here in Brooklyn. The sun's beaming. I feel like uh, everything's kind of feeling right for once. You know, after a long summer with no football, we are right back in the action. You know, that game last night to me, Charles, and by the way, Brooklyn's fabulous. Um, That game last night to me, I don't know that there's really an overreaction to be had. I think we thought going into it, Detroit was going to be pretty good. And I liked how Detroit kind of took on the Dan Campbell mentality. Like, they were just kind of like nasty. Like, they were loose and ready to go, right? And Kansas City, I thought, looked okay. Obviously, they had a lot of offensive errors and a couple of self-inflicted errors. But they're, you know, they're missing a big weapon. And Mahomes, I thought, looked in rhythm. So overall, if I was a fan base of either club, obviously I'm happy if I'm Detroit, I wouldn't be over panicky if I'm Kansas City. But what say you? No, I'm not panicking at all. If I, if I got Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> there's no reason to panic. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think the good thing you saw last night for your team, Sam, is Mahomes is still that guy. I mean, a number of the throws that didn't get connected, like there were chances to make plays on the ball. Um, especially, you know, some of those plays by Kadarius Tony and, and Sky Moore, that was pretty bad. Um, I, I guess if I, if I was concerned, you know, or if there was a spot to be concerned as a Chiefs fan, um, you haven't really been able to develop a receiver, it, it seems like, over the past couple of years. And you had Tyree Kill, um, who obviously was a huge hit for them. Nico Hardman was a nice gadget player. But outside of that, they haven't really been able to find that guy on the outside, outside of Travis Kelsey, which is, you know, something that they're going to have to figure out as as Kelsey, you know, kind of moves into the back nine of his career. Um, and and I think it's it's concerning because it's not like the Detroit Lions, their secondary is full of world beaters. You know, this is one of the worst defenses in the league last year. And I know they made some improvements, but it's still not an insurmountable unit by any means. But the fact that they, there was a lot of times where you're watching on the broadcast view of Mahomes is just looking, 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 waiting for someone to, to get open. That's, that's kind of a troublesome sign because, um, to me, that shows you somehow built a supporting cast that not even Patrick Mahomes can lift up from time to time, which is a, a little bit difficult to do. Um, and I, I think they might have a little bit of issues on the tackle front too. But there's only so much you can worry when you have Patrick Mahomes. You're going to get Travis Kelsey back. But the one thing they need to do is figure out this Chris Jones deal because – um, I, I think when you go back to the end of the game, there's a lot of people in the moment where it's like, well, why the heck is Andy Reid going for it on fourth and 25? Well, because they might not get the ball back, which they didn't, because the, uh, the Chiefs, they couldn't stop the run at like the most pivotal points in the game. Uh, and it, it kind of showed, wow, this defense needs Chris Jones. And even with Mahomes, they still kind of need some of their playmakers back. 
let's shift to what's going to take place here over the weekend. Jacksonville coming in, taking on the Colts. I'll begin with the Jags. It seems as though Jacksonville is kind of entering into an area because of the rebuild of two in the AFC South and perhaps the slide back of another in Tennessee in the AFC South and Jacksonville emerging that the pastures are awfully green for the Jags themselves and they could you know, own the division for a while here. Is that giving Jacksonville too much credit? No, they have the best quarterback in the division and a guy who can be one of the best in the NFL if he continues to hit his ceiling. I mean, we've, we started to see like the, the Trevor Lawrence renaissance towards the end of last season, right, with the Baltimore and Dallas games and even some of the stuff he did in the playoff, bouncing back from that terrible first half he had against the Chargers, kind of going blow for blow at Mahomes at times in that uh, the Chiefs game. So I, I think as long as you got Trevor Lawrence, you got you brought Calvin Ridley in, and I think that that last preseason performance from Ridley um, and Lawrence is really encouraging just the, the chemistry that they've been able to put together the accuracy that Lawrence is showing, and that Calvin still looks like he's in shape as uh, a guy who hasn't played a, a regular season football game in almost two years. So um, it, I, I think it's coming together for them. The defense is still a bit of a question mark to me. I, I, I worry about their pass rush. I worry about uh, some of their secondary guys outside of Tyson Campbell. Um, so I, I don't think it's a, a done deal by any means, but you got Trevor Lawrence. You got Calvin Ridley. And not only do you have those guys, but out, and outside of Ridley, you have a pretty good – uh, supporting cast with guys like Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, offensive line solid. I mean, this should be one of the better offenses in the NFL this year. Charles McDonald with us, covers the NFL at large for Yahoo Sports. Charles, after the big payday reportedly for Joe Burrow yesterday, is Trevor Lawrence next in line in your mind when you're looking around the league? Yeah, probably. I, I, I guess maybe they're a year... Well, because this is year three for him, right? So I, I guess him. you're... Uh, Yes, yeah, so you're you're getting close to the to that that benchmark. Um, and man, these quarterback contracts are getting crazy. I mean, I remember you know what ten years ago when Cam Newton got that five year, a hundred million dollar contract from the Panthers. The people were like, "Whoa, that's crazy! What's going on here?" I remember now, when Manning got forty eight million, and we thought the world was coming to an end. <laughs> right, right. And now five years, two hundred seventy five million, two hundred twenty million guaranteed. Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine Trevor Lawrence is up next on on that pay scale. Um, and really, you know, I guess he's kind of one of the last guys that you feel like you need to pay. I'm just running through my mind. They haven't gotten paid yet. You know, we'll see what happens with Tua. Um, if he can stay healthy, if the Dolphins feel like they need to make, you know, a, a near $300 million investment into their quarterback uh, position at, with what the contract's going to be at that point. But, yeah, Trevor Lawrence has to be the next one. Um, but I do kind of wonder if we're going to get to a point where, you know, I, I think the Dolphins will be an interesting t- uh, test case for it, where maybe you, you pass on giving the guy that money and try to beef up other areas of your roster and draft another quarterback. Um, because no matter how much the cap goes up, you know, a contract taking up that much of the cap space is always going to be big. I think it's going to be interesting to see if there's any teams that, you know, pass on that idea moving forward. If you had to predict Charles McDonald of Yahoo, if you had to look into a crystal ball, in four years, whatever it may be, five years, are we talking about a massive payday, can't miss contract for Anthony Richardson with Indianapolis? I'll say yes. I think he's good, man. Um, I, I, I thought uh, I thought pretty highly of him during the draft process. I thought some of the, the criticisms about 
uh, the way he operates the quarterback were a little little overstated. Um, the thing about that Florida offense, and look, we saw the versus Utah last week without him, uh, and and this team is supposed to be at least from the skill spot better than they were last year because they have more experience. Um, we are bringing back a lot of the same guys. You know that that's a really difficult offense to play in when you're talking about a, a program that's still rebuilding. Not only is like the talent a little bit subpar, but they're throwing the ball down the field, especially when they had Anthony Richardson last year. I think they scaled it back a little bit last week for Graham Mertz, but um, with Richardson, he really did carry a lot of that offense. And I thought it kind of prepared him for what he's going to see um, this season to a degree. And honestly, you know, this is a better supporting cast than he played with last year. So I really like him. I know the stats profile wasn't great. I know there's times where you, you wish he would have played a little bit better, but I think his floor is a lot higher than people give him credit for. And obviously the ceiling is just, you know, it, it kind of feels unlimited with what he can do as a thrower and a runner. So I'm, I'm, I'm in on Anthony Richardson. I think that that's going to be an exciting thing to watch him develop this year. Um, and I, I think that even his presence without Jonathan Taylor still gives you a chance to have a pretty good rushing game. When you see that Florida, you know, it was kind of illuminated the fact that there wasn't a great offensive base around Anthony Richardson at Florida. I, I guess that segues Charles into this. Does he have any help at all in Indianapolis? I know Pittman's a good player, but it just feels like the Colts are really shy on depth at any area to get any stability this year at all. No, they are. That, that's I think that's a fair fair assessment. I mean, what last week there was a point where they had three receivers on the roster, and obviously you know that that that's not going to stick going into the regular season. There's going to be guys that get added and they tinker with their roster, but it goes to show they don't have a lot of depth on offense right now. And I think that that's the scary part for um, his rookie year. But I also think the Colts, in a way, you can be a little bit optimistic at at, at some spots, especially along the offensive line, right, where you can kind of bank on, all right, well, we've seen these guys up front play well in the past. Hopefully they can get back to their form. And if they do, like that by itself is a big plus um, for trying to get Anthony Richardson in and trying to develop him as quickly as he possibly can so you can start getting back into winning the division and, and being a real player in the AFC. You know, I, I thought it was a good pick for them just with the setup that they have up front. If those guys can bounce back. But the skill position is a, it's a little bleak. Like, you, you, you got Michael Pittman. You're going to need Alex Pierce to take a step up, and obviously those backup running backs are going to have to play a big role uh, for them early on as they try to, you know, just get some offensive production going while Richardson learns the ropes. Because uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to put, uh, you know, high expectations on any rookie quarterback. It's a really hard position to play. I don't think having a, a poor rookie season is super indicative of what you're going to do moving forward. But uh, you still got to go out there and do it. And I think that he's he's kind of walking in with one hand tied behind his back. Jaguars are favored by four and a half as it stands. It's been a decade since the Colts have won a season opener. For that streak to come to an end, the Colts will need to do what against Jacksonville? Um, I'll go with rush the passer. I, I think you're going to have to knock Trevor Lawrence off the spot. You know, just just kind of keep him from getting in rhythm because once he gets in rhythm, like we saw at the back end of last season, he is just deadly. Um, and I think that's that's probably going to be you know when you, when you look at the Colts cornerback room, you're going up against Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk. I think their best bet is probably just to disrupt the passer up front because I'm not sure I have a whole lot of faith in those guys in the back end being able to keep all health and breaking them. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
We talked about this yesterday, Charles. There's always a team every year. There's some NFL team that, you know, around early November, you're sitting around with your buddies and you're doing like a pick em league or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I've picked against this team every week, and I guess at this point I've got to accept they might actually be decent. They might actually be good. And nobody saw it coming. Who's that going to be this year? Um, I don't know if it's nobody saw it coming, but I'll go with the Commanders. I, 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 I was in a spot where I feel like a lot of people were here where, where I was you know, sitting looking at this team this summer where there's been so much crap going on off the field that I've forgotten that there's like a real team that plays actual football games behind like the Dan Snyder mess that we've seen um, that has really been the only notable thing about this organization over the past few years. But now that you have that removed, it, it's kind of easier to focus on what they actually have going for them. And this is a pretty talented team. I mean, their defensive line is filled with studs. Um, and you're looking at a spot where Chase Young is, is probably your fourth best defensive lineman. And when he's healthy, he's still pretty good. John Allen, Ron Payne, Montez Sweat, they got guys at safety and a couple guys at cornerback. But what really moves me about this team is their offensive skill position players. Um, I, I, it ain't Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, but uh, having uh, Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dobson, that's nothing to sneeze at. But I think we saw earlier this preseason as it progressed that Dobson looks like a guy who might be a little overqualified to be a, a pure number two receiver, but this is a situation that he's in, and it's going to make life easier for Sam Howell. So you look at those two guys at wide receiver, even someone like Diane Brown as your wide receiver three who's capable in his own right, um, Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson at running back. The Austin Devine's okay. You know, they still have some work to do up there, but I think it's passable. So, hey, look, if Sam, Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy can kind of come in and, and coordinate this thing and have, you know, a productive year in their own right, they have the pieces to maybe not win the NFC East because I don't think they're better than Dallas or Philadelphia, but definitely play spoiler and, and have a chance to, to be in the playoff hunt by the end of the season. Charles McDonald with us covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Charles, I've always felt like that offensive linemen move early. I've always felt like they they do anything they can to get a little bit of an extra edge to do their best to protect their quarterback. But what Juwan Taylor did last night, I would like to even acknowledge the broadcast certainly was, was egregious at best in terms of the amount of space he was willing to jump early to be able to get a little extra separation. Eventually it got called, but... Do you envision what happened last night leading to a point of emphasis this year from officials, or is it just a one-off thing on a national broadcast as that's something that Taylor's kind of done his whole career? Well, look, you know how this is going to go. The NFL, they're going to talk to the refs. They're going to talk to NBC and say, cut it out. <laughs> stop, stop talking about our referees in that manner. But, look, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I played defensive line growing up, so – I have long thought that this is an overdue thing that uh, needs to be examined and needs to be looked at. Let's change the rule, all right? Get your ass on the line of scrimmage so it doesn't look like you're playing H-back next to the right guard. And, you know, if, if you've got to cheat to to try and block Aiden Hutchinson, which he absolutely needed those extra steps. If you watched him in the game, like he was kind of getting his butt kicked off the edge. You know, well, then do it after the snap. You're, you know, don't don't start – two yards off the ball where everyone can see you change the rules. So everyone's got to be on the line of scrimmage. You got seven man down, no illegal formations. It's not fair. It's not right. And I think the referees need to do something about it. But yeah, that was, that was egregious last night. Um, and not only that, there's 
there's a lot of times where he's jumping before the ball snapped and there are a handful of false starts. And then they finally just, they stopped biting their whistle and they blew it at the worst possible time on like a fourth and 20 or I think that was the situation uh, at the end of the game before the fourth and 25. So, um, I, I think that that was pretty bad last night. But defensive linemen, we're we're a persecuted class, you know. <laughs> it's, it's just not fair. It's not fair when these offensive linemen get to get away with the name of points and protecting quarterbacks. So I think we need to change the rules, get them on the line of scrimmage, and no pretending that you're about to, uh, you know, go out for a route based on your, your pre-snap positioning. Okay, Charles. Coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, now I'm, I'm leaving early because I've got a flight to catch. That's neither here nor there. But So I have to let these guys know. They're going to preview and predict the all of the awards for the NFL season. Okay, Now I'm going to tip my hand and just go ahead and divulge one of them that I'm going to predict for this year because I want you, Charles McDonald, to um, in fact confirm that there is this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of no-brainers. Are you ready? Yeah. Assuming that assuming – that, you know, there's not an injury, and by that I mean a knee or a hamstring or something that keeps him out. D- regardless of his level of play, so long as he regularly appears in games, they have already etched the trophy for Comeback Player of the Year for DeMar Hamlin, oh. correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Like, we shouldn't even thought- have that one on the, on the, in the docket, right? Dude, no. I, I saw something yesterday where he's like minus 350 on some odds to win Comeback Player of the Year. <laughs> minus three fifty, like before the season even starts, that's that's set in stone. And and this was this was written when the Buffalo Bills training staff got an MVP vote this year from some writer. You know, I, it, it's just it, it's too important of a story. We'll get back to your regu- regularly scheduled comeback player of the year. No uh, question. Next year, no. we but, should actually but, uh, put it for who's the runner up. That's what we should predict. Who's the runner up? Right. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I can't even like think of someone who who will come in a close second. But honestly, my my brain as a as a very tired Falcons fan, I thought you were to go with the Bijan Robinson offensive rookie of the year is a no brainer. But Demar Hamlin comeback player is nice too. You know, I'm not going to lie to you, Charles. You might be, and this is the first time I believe that the two of us have talked. But but when you when you come on this program, you're automatically a friend, right? So like I can say like a yeah. buddy of mine. So when, so now I can say to people when I'm on the plane today, you know, I met a buddy of mine in Brooklyn today, the first Atlanta <laughs> Falcons fan I've ever met. Actually, I take it back. Zach Osterman Osterman for the Indy Star grew up in the Atlanta area. Oh, and likes that's the my guy. That's my guy. <laughs> yeah, he likes the Falcons too. So you guys, I guess, have that in common. But. Um, what I asked this question on Twitter earlier today, or, or earlier this week, I should say, and people got upset because I didn't include the baseball teams. For which NFL franchise do you most associate Deion Sanders? Um, I mean, flip a coin between Dallas and Atlanta for me. Yeah, to me, it's Atlanta because the because he was doing the stuff with the Braves too, you know. That and uh, Charles, this shows how old I am. But like, I go back to like he brought a swagger to the Falcons, the Dirty Birds, kind of before that before they were the Dirty Birds. But like, you mm-hmm. know, the too legit to quit and Jerry Glanville and Andre Risen and just the overall like swagger of the Falcons was epicentered and started by Deion Sanders, and that it just became larger than life, and that put the Falcons on the map to a lot of people. Yeah. Who who like had forgotten about Steve Bartkowski and Gerald Riggs? It was fun, you know. It, it was it, it was fun. It was swaggerful. It was fun until you know what game I'm about to say, and that everything changed. Then it hasn't been the same since seven years now. We're coming up, and it still hasn't felt the same. But now I'm still here. 
the Panthers are probably going to beat the Falcons week one because, you know, there's insurmountable odds placed against Bryce Young with not only the, the record of number one overall picks in the first game, but also some injury at wide receivers. But the Falcons, that's what we do. We we lose in the worst possible ways. We're statistical anomalies. So I'm on the now, week now, against the Packers. Listen, Charles, I want to let you know, they originally asked – if you if I was okay with you coming on in the two o'clock hour, and you would think that I would say no because I'm not going to be here in the two o'clock hour because of the aforementioned flight, but you know why I said not to have you on in the two o'clock hour? I just why? want to let you know because if you were on here at two thirty two, then I would actually have to say it's twenty eight to three. Uh, oh, man. So uh, you know I have a heart, good. right? That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> he made me wear a lion's hat today. If it's any consolation, I, I for have you. a heart. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, my 20th birthday was not a good one for me. I can tell you guys that. <laughs> hey, at least you're, you're probably too young then to remember when Morton Anderson missed it to go to the Super Bowl, so it's all relative, right? Yeah, I mean, I see, I've seen it clear. My cousins talk about it, but yeah, I'm a little too young for that one. The pride of Ben Davis, Jimmy. Charles, with <laughs> with Sunday Ticket in full-fledged, from a sponsorship standpoint from YouTube TV, I know it's not any different really than it was a year ago or in its previous instances, but I want to kind of borrow what the NBA does with League Pass. If there was like a League Pass watch or a League Pass alert, or in this case a Sunday ticket alert, you can only have four games on your slate from this weekend slate. What are those four? Well, obviously Atlanta, Carolina, because I'm an addict that needs help. (laughs) Um, Dallas first, the Giants. Because you know, I covered the Giants for a while. I'll go Buffalo versus the Jets because, again, I went. I was at Jets camp in August. Um, There's a lot of hype around that team. Definitely want to see Aaron Rodgers. And honestly, I'm more intrigued by the Jets defensive line. And for my fourth one, I'll go Dolphins Chargers. I think that's going to be a fun game. The Chargers they were kind of like the first team to start slowing down that offense last year. So it'll be interesting to see what the counter punches that McDaniel has developed since that late season matchup last season. Is Daniel Jones good? Do we know yet? Do we have enough evidence to say, in fact, he's good? He's good enough. That's how I feel. I don't think uh, yeah. he's like, you know, and I think the contract kind of reflects it, right? It wasn't one of these albatross deals. It was like, all right, you're a capable starter. We'll lock you in at a rate that allows us to keep some quality quarterback play while also being able to build up a team around you. So, um, which is crazy to say because we were talking about before, but a $40 million quarterback is like, eh, whatever. That's. That's like above average starting money now, and I think that that's how I feel about Daniel Jones. He's good enough. It, it, it's, a, it's a weird situation where you, you you could definitely do better, but also letting him walk hurt, so you kind of end up with the, the four-year, $160 million bargain. Are you surrounded more by uh, Knicks or Nets fans? Uh, Knicks. Knicks, for okay. sure. Uh, are you surrounded more by, I know the answer to some of these, Giants or Jets? Jets. Jets fans. Okay. Uh, I know I know way more Jets fans. Rangers or Islanders? Rangers, yeah. And this one I think is pretty obvious. Although the, where you live might factor this a little bit. Yankees, Mets. Um, I definitely see more Yankees fans, but I'm more in touch with Mets fans because the Braves have a nice little quote-unquote rivalry where they're going on and just beating the hell out of them every time they play <laughs> each other. And Mets fans are so salty about it. So that's what kind of keeps me going. I, I've always felt in New York, it basically, they all rhyme, right? So the, the fan bases are Mets, Jets, Nets, yes. Islanders, right? That like That's the four that you would have typically unless you yeah. are like more of an elitist and then you're Giants, Yankees, Knicks, Rangers, right? Correct. Yeah. That would lead me more. I like the Islanders. I don't know anything about them, but I just like their colors. Islanders are cool. Long Island's cool. I've never seen an Islands game before. (laughs) 
<laughs> you, we have that in common, right? <laughs> but but I like their colors. And, you and, like them, yeah. yeah. I just like them. The Islanders are cool. Charles, appreciate the time as always. We'd like to have you back in the company sometime over the course of the season if we could. Yep, you know, you know how to find me. Good talking to you guys. Uh, likewise, Charles McDonald again uh, with Yahoo, of course, longtime NFL writer. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Just company for the final hour of a Blue Friday. Jimmy Cook coming to you from the drivehuber.com studios. Our owner took a half day, Jimmy. He did. Took some PTO He has already. the perks. He has the perks. His name is on the wall. We understand that. Has a little bit of perks. All jokes aside, though, Jake Query on his way to the airport covering the IndyCar season finale. He's missing out, though, because we have saved some of our best guests for last in the final of this Friday edition of Query and Company. Do we have to give Kevin a, uh, a spot? We position? do. With that, that's where we need to start the See, conversation. You're president and I'm CEO. I feel like we should be able to... So let Kevin decide. I agree. But before we give Kevin that option, I want to acknowledge one thing, Eddie, that's happened right now. This is officially the return, the reunion. But in this case, in prime time of two o'clock. That's right. I'm making that prime time now because we were getting up at five in the morning previously for that. The way too early pregame show has officially taken over the state airwaves. And we start it now with Kevin Bowen here on Query and Company. KB, you heard the prelude by one Eddie Garrison there. If you were to pick a spot within the company, what would be your ideal spot? Yeah, I heard you guys talking about this company. Did you plan this, by the way, for Jake to exit and me to enter here? Was this this planned? By Eddie Garrison cooking us up. I nope. think it's I think it's very cute that you of all people would think that we plan things on this show. Well, yeah, that is touche. Uh, well, I mean, Jake's gone, so I thought maybe there was some planning now uh, actually happening. He's avoiding uh, I will you. Happily, yeah, I'll, I'll happily take uh, like uh, intern, yeah, summer, fall intern. Can, can, can I get like credit hours for this? Yeah, I will. I will happily just ride your guys' uh, coattails here with this company. That's very humble and kind of you, Eddie, as, pre- or as CEO. Do you approve of that? I, I give it a green stamp. See, here's, that. here's the problem, though. If we're doing just can a I, fall... Can I, like, plan the Christmas party? Can I, like, can I, can I do that? See, here's the problem. If he was just a fall intern, that would mean we would have to get rid of him after the Colts season. That's the problem. Yeah. I don't want to get rid of KB. Well, I don't either. Can't you hire me full-time after the... Isn't that how the internships usually work? Okay, so can then, so then what's your internship in? What area? What department? <laughs> we got to get these things well, hammered out, KB. You know, let's go with events. And I can plan, right, let's throw a Thanksgiving party. Let's throw a Halloween party while we're at it. Event and coordinator. Make sure that, and if I know my bosses very well, I would say that PBR on tap would have to be an absolute <laughs> must. We, 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 we get a PBR, of, uh, you said keg of PBR coming up here. Jake just had a birthday. We could you know, celebrate that again. Um, yeah, we have plenty of holiday. It's holiday season coming up here. I will give you just one warning on that. Uh, we don't have an HR department yet, so just proceed with caution. That's all I will. That's all I will say. Wow. We've yet to even better. Yet to figure that out. So, <laughs> what happens to the holiday party certainly stays at the holiday party. A- a- amen to that. Colts fans hoping that it's going to be a party of some sort at Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday. We we know the number, Kevin. A decade going on without a season opening victory. Let's start at the apex. That streak ends because why? 
Well, I know we all picked the Jaguars, to be clear. You can go on 107.5fan.com. The whole fan picked the Jags. But if you were to look in a crystal ball and see one scenario where the drought of season opening wins ends, it will because this happened for the Colts. Yeah, I would say your defensive line dominates that matchup and dominates it from the sense of it's not just Trevor Lawrence's whatever. 58% 58% and sacked three times, and Travis Etienne's got 3.2 yards per carry, that you're able to make some game-changing type of plays. You know, if you look at Detroit last night, obviously, and, you know, I'm sorry to bring it up, Jimmy, but that pick six totally, I think, changed, you know, the, the, the course of that game. So, like, those are the type of plays that I think you're going to have to do, set up some sort of easy points with that and I think on paper your defensive line should have the ability to accomplish that. It's been something I've you know brought up with Andy a lot in the mornings of you know, when you look at Jacksonville, I think when you combine their score their quarterback and their skilled players, it might be I think you make the argument outside of Cincinnati and probably Baltimore, it's the best group of offensive skill you'll see all season long. Um when you again combine Lawrence with those running backs and wideouts and tight ends. So that obviously is not an ideal recipe, certainly not one for a very young and inexperienced secondary. So how do you combat that? Well, your defensive line, which is filled with money and filled with high draft picks, um, you've got to be able to win that. And and, Jacksonville is dealing with a backup offensive tackle and just some youth in some really key spots on on that offensive line. So I'll go there. It's your D-line shows up. It makes some game-changing plays. And, you know, sure, the easy answer would be Anthony Richardson looks like an MVP or something along those lines. But, you know, I'll try to be a little bit more realistic here and go to the D-line. Where is the line between feel-good vibes that Shaq Leonard is back versus excitement like this can change or, or solidify things defensively having his presence back there where's the fine line between feel good vibes and no we have a difference maker back this could perhaps turn the tide situationally in this matchup yeah that's a good question jimmy i i would say probably feel good kind of exit as soon as he's announced during warm-ups and not now that i think about it i assume they'll announce the offense to let anthony richardson and I guess let that crowd maybe show their appreciation for for the drafting of Anthony Richardson. Um, but yeah, it's just it's the harsh reality. If you only get seventeen of these, there's the question of you know how many of them you know, Shaquille Leonard will even play in, given its recent injury history. So I guess unfortunately, but you know, welcome to life with professional sports. Welcome to life in the NFL. It, it does change from you know Hollywood to reality very very quickly and. You know, again, it's a storyline that we've talked about a lot this week. We played the audio from him yesterday. I just get the vibe that there's some skepticism within himself of where he's at. And it's understandable. And um, obviously he's dealt with a ton physically from nerve questions to multiple back surgeries to correct ankle pain, all of those things. But you do pay him, you know, 18, 19 million, whatever the exact number is for a reason. And, you pay Zaire Franklin three or four million for a reason. You pay EJ Speed, you know, two or three million for a reason. Again, Shaq's gotta be gotta be, you know, infinitely better than those two to earn that money. And what that means obviously is he's taking the ball away at really a Hall of Fame level, which is what he did. You know, I think there's this perception in the NFL oftentimes that turnovers can be just luck 
and it's really hard to, you know, replicate that season in, season out, unless you have just this kind of dominant edge rusher that whatever dials up eight, ten strip sacks a year. Well, what Leonard was doing is he was showing that it's not luck. Like, as an off-ball linebacker, whether it's interceptions or forced fumbles, both of areas, he was saying, you know, my presence lends to, you know, great playmaking on the defensive side of the ball. And, again, that's really hard to uh, sustain and just do kind of year in and year out. But now I think there's that question with him. There's that question with where he's at athletically, where he's at from an availability standpoint, and how much he can be that player we saw in 2019 or even two years ago in 2021 when he had all those forced fumbles in that season. So, yeah, I think the, uh, you know, maybe he gets a game or two just to, you know, try and knock off some of that game rust and he hasn't tackled anybody since last November. But very quickly you start have, you, you have to start judging him on are you getting the return on investment? And if you're not, you got to have a pretty tough conversation at the end of the year. Kevin Bowen joins us. You hear him on the wake-up call with KB and Andy, 7 to 10 a.m. here on The Fan. Of course, Colts beat writer on 1075thefan.com. KB, when you look at both depth charts, I don't mean to be bleak here, but I, I think it's kind of the pulse of the fan base when you look at the Colts roster and say it, there's a lot of gross aspects of it. There's some positives, but there's some areas that need to be massively built upon in the Anthony Richardson era, assuming he is the face of the franchise that they hope he is. Long-winded way of saying, when you look at both depth charts, is there an area where, yes, the Colts have a better area on paper than the Jaguars do? You would hope your offensive line, certainly. I mean, again, just based off of resume, if if nothing else, you know, Jacksonville's left tackle, Cam Robinson, suspended through the first four games. I mean, there's certainly other guys in Brandon Sheriff and, and um, the Harrison kid, the rookie first-round pick. I mean, they've invested, but, you know, there are guys up front that, you know, haven't recently been at whatever Pro Bowl, All-Pro type levels like there is with the Colts offensive line. Obviously, wouldn't say that based off last season, but there is whatever two, three years ago. You can point to some of those individuals. So, if you're squarely comparing, you know, one position to the next kind of side-by-side, side, offensive line would be that. I, I would think defensive line um, would be that as well. I mean, again, Trayvon Walker, what does he do in year two? I know it's a big storyline for Jacksonville. After being the top overall pick last year, Josh Allen, there is probably those questions like it shows it in flashes. When does he become that dominant, dominant edge rusher as a as a former high pick? Um, I, I just can't say linebacker based off again how much time Leonard has missed and the questions that are there. So I would say if you're going to point to anything Colts wise, it would be O line and, and then maybe D line, but certainly not in the skill group at all. And, and, and you couldn't say quarterback is based off of the inexperience with uh, with Richardson. I know I'm kind of getting a little bit in the weeds here, Kev, but in terms of the secondary and particularly the cornerbacks, what do you envision from like a, a snap count or a split standpoint? Do you think it's constant movement to keep guys fresh, or do you think it is, it's is—it's pretty clear based on the depth chart where things will sit from a distribution of snap standpoint? Yeah, I think early on in the year, it's it's pretty clear to me. Um, I I don't even know if we'll see Nick Cross rotate in at safety. I know there are some questions about him and his, you know, what he showed in training camp in year two, et cetera, et cetera. Julian Blackman missed some time. Some people have wondered if he would rotate in. I assume it'll be Rodney Thomas at one safety and then Julian Blackman at that strong safety 
and I would guess that is an every snap thing. I mean, we'll, we'll see if there's any sort of pitch count. And then a corner, um, I think it'll be the trio we saw really all throughout camp and even in the preseason, and that's Kenny Moore never coming off the field, and then Dallas Flowers and, and Daryl Baker Jr. as that second and third corner, both of them lining up on the outside. And, and that's probably where you have the biggest question. I mean, they're two undrafted guys from just last year. In Baker's case, he's never played a defensive snap in the NFL. You know, Flowers' his first defensive action in the NFL came in mid-December last year. So it's pretty rare to kind of see in today's NFL, I think a nickel group be made up of, you know, two-thirds of it having that much inexperience. But you know, Juju Brent struggled with availability for what it's worth. He was not in practice today due to personal reasons. But, you know, health-wise, that's been an issue for him here in his rookie season. Uh, you know, Darius Rush, of course, has moved on to Kansas City. I don't think Jalen Jones is to the point yet where they'd rotate him in. I, I really like what he showed in training camp, but I don't know. Gus Bradley still strikes as a guy that will kind of keep those top three guys, and then you, you'll see kind of how they react week in and week out. But I would say early on, um, I don't expect a whole lot of rotation within a game. KB, for me, when I look at the drought of – 10 years without a season opening win it feels like because of how much turnover there's been in that span that it's just one of those random quirky stats that like okay like it's it's mounting yes but there's larger goals jobs will not be decided based on just winning the opener like you're gonna get a full body of work of the course of this season does it feel that way to you though that it's just a weird quirky stat or do you think there's a I mean, obviously, it is with the fan base, but is there a sense of, man, let's just get this done with and finally stop talking about it? Yeah, I, it's always been an interesting, like, dilemma for me, Jimmy, and, like, trying to assess that. You know, part of me just chalks it up as, like, weird quirkiness, and maybe I'm dating back a little bit more to the Pagano side of it, because obviously, in those Pagano years, they lost openers in, you know, 14, 15, and 16. And in 14's case, they, you know, they went on to win whatever, they were 11-5 and five that year and, and made the run of the AFC title game. But, uh, you know, as you transfer from that Grigson Pagano era to the you know, Ballard-Reich era, it, I don't have it in front of me, Jimmy, but I think in the month of September in the Ballard era, I want to say they're 27th or 28th in record. And, again, that's the month of September. So I try to, you know, bring it out a little bit more after the opener. Get into week two, get into week three. Hell, probably some years you, you, you even maybe play a fourth game in September. And if you pull it out a little bit more, I mean, all of a sudden, it's not like you're improving that that much. And there's been plenty of years where they started out 0-2 or 1-2. and um, It's not like with a flip of a switch, all of a sudden, you know, it's just a fluke of a week one, and then boom, you win your next two, and you're back in a great position from there. And, you know, obviously you go to 2018, they started 1-5, and so – to me, it is much more of a slow start to season thing than than just a week one problem. Um, and you know, then you get into okay, how are you preparing for the starts of seasons? You know, how do you handle training camp? How do you handle preseason playing time? You know, if you look at the three preseason games this year, Jimmy, the Colts played their starters. I think I counted it up: fifteen total series. The offense with Richardson was out there for nine series. The defense was out there for about six series. And if you look at their opponents, granted, when you played your starters, it was Buffalo and Philly, two pretty established teams. Their starting units weren't out there at all. So, again, your starters out there for 15 series, 
and you play backups in all 15 of those series. So um, I do think it's a little bit more than a week one issue, uh, you know, trying to put your finger on it exactly. You know, obviously it's difficult, and it's clearly been difficult for the franchise to figure out. And there are all sorts of games in that opener. There are blowouts. There are big comebacks to make a tie. There are, you know, I remember the Detroit game with Matt Prater and Jim Caldwell and them kicking a late field goal in a, in a shootout. You had a wild game with Cincinnati in there. Um, you know, uh, during the COVID year, wasn't it Jacksonville's only win that season was beating you in the opener. So I, I do try to get away from the opener and think, I think it's much more of a September issue than it is just, you know, nine straight season opening losses or ties. Kevin Bowen with us. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. He does a wonderful job covering the Colts for us here on The Fan. You can hear him 7 to 10 a.m., the wake-up call with KB and Andy here on these very airwaves. Is the criticisms of the wide receiver room heading into the 2023 campaign overblown, or has it been as honest and clear-cut as it can be? Was Kadarius Tony throwing the game last night? Man, the, the, the first drop... The drop that led to the pick six was just like, all right, that's unlucky. I said some choice words that, thankfully, yeah, my I wife was not around to hear uh, on the one that would have set them up in field goal range to probably ice that thing away. I, I don't know, Kev. That's one of those where you just – surely it feels like a weird feeling, but surely he can't be that bad all year, right? Like, that's got to be the low point. He had the lowest PFF grade a wide receiver's had in five years. It's not 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 great vibes here right now. <laughs> no, sorry, I, I just I, I had to ask that. Somebody asked me earlier today who who is better wideouts, the Chiefs or the Colts. I was trying to, was trying to plead the fifth. Um, Here's my pushback, by the way, and this is this will get. I'm sure the YouTube channel love this. I had forgotten the last time the Chiefs lost an opener. That was my vibes after last night. Just to make that clear, it was 2015, by the way. Say we we had that as a pop quiz question. I forget it been eight straight season opening wins for your Chiefs. Um, this is how I feel about the wideouts. I've always been a little bit higher on Michael Pittman than than most. Um, I think Alec Pierce creates a decently high floor for himself because unlike most wideouts, if Pierce is to make an impact on a game, and we saw it last year, it's oftentimes hell. I think we saw it against your Chiefs, Jimmy. It's like you know two catches for forty eight yards. So it, it's it's big plays. It's it's a thirty yard catch. It's a you know, defensive pass interference penalty he draws. Obviously, you want more out of them. Um, but you know, honestly, to me, it's like when Paris Campbell would have kind of duds of games. It'd be like two catches for eighteen yards. Whereas with Pierce, uh, you know, I think back to the Jacksonville game last year, the game that you won at home. You know, he ices that game with Matt Ryan. Uh, you know, I really like Josh Downs a lot. I think he's going to be uh, a pretty impactful player early on, and I think he's going to be important for Anthony Richardson in that you know Downs' strength is in the area of the field where Richardson struggles, and that's kind of that underneath accuracy. Um, but if there is one injury to Pittman or Pierce, all of a sudden <laughs> I think they are in a world, a world of trouble. And I know a lot of people have made a lot out of this kind of, oh, fifth wide receiver and – and this and that. I mean, you don't really use a fifth wideout on game day. Like, I don't know. If you look at the Lions, you know, how often did they use a fifth wideout last night? You saw so, it last night plenty from Kansas City, I'll say that, but that's because they were having tryouts effectively. Yeah, scramble mode. Yeah. 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 But it, it doesn't, it's not like it's an anomaly. Right. 35 snaps. Yeah. But the question becomes, and you know, we actually asked Shane Second a couple of these questions today. It, it, 
in the presser. If Pittman or Pierce goes down, the other wideouts you have, Josh Downs and Isaiah McKenzie, I mean, they're, they're what, 5'9 and 5'10? Like, they aren't outside 6'2, 6'3 wideouts that you want, you know, trying to beat man coverage and trying to make some plays on 50-50 balls. And it's a third and fourth slant. And how competitive are you uh, against, you know, press coverage making that play? That's where I think you have major, major questions. Having said all of that, it's still not you know, anywhere near, I think, an above-average wideout group, and it will continue to be a storyline as it's been for the umpteenth year in a row with with Chris Ballard. And, and that's why I just think there's a lot of Anthony Richardson's fight right now. You're asking him to uplift one of the worst running back rooms in the NFL, I'd say one of the bottom quartile wide receiver rooms in the NFL, and a very unproven tight end room. I think there's some intriguing bodies in that tight end room, but it's still extremely unproven that's a lot that's a lot to throw on a rookie's plate particularly one with 13 career college starts we have not talked about the rookie yet throughout this conversation outside of stuff in passing of course referring to anthony richardson for his debut what are you watching for the most just on his individual play and in that same aspect where should expectations be for colts fans in in what i've been trying to preach as a enjoy it because it's a debut and it's not going to be boring that doesn't mean it's going to be great you might not leave lucas oil stadium in a happy mood but it's it's new and it's fresh yeah i I was talking about that today kind of something similar i think this is a very exciting time to be a colts fan in that you're you're finally going down the right path you are finally attempting to get modern at quarterback um, to get what i think is needed and works. You know, I, I mean, you look at that first touchdown drive last night by the Chiefs. I mean, how important were those two Mahomes scrambles to kind of set that up? Mm-hmm. And that is what a little bit of, you know, Richardson can give you some of that. Obviously, from a throwing standpoint, it's totally different right now. But I just think that is vital um, to have at, at that position because opposing defenses can take away so much and things just naturally break down. Uh, I think what I'm looking for most with Richardson is. I guess two things. One is, does the big play potential translate? Um, I think it will, but you just got to see it. You know, in the preseason, you would point to the ball to Pierce in that Buffalo game, which Pierce dropped. I mean, that would have been a huge play. You know, does that translate? Because I think it's unrealistic to ever expect Anthony Richardson to be a 68 70% passer. He's just not going to be that, which is, is fine. But if he's not going to be that, he's got to have the big plays to offset the methodical, consistent passing game. So I think you want to see those flashes with his arm, with his legs, of course. And then you make sure that you just don't make bad plays worse. Um, we had Matt Taylor on with us earlier today, and, and Matt brought up, you know, how many times last season did the Colts get sacked and then all of a sudden a fumble happened as well? Like, it's okay to live and see another down. You know, the old adage of, you know, try to end every drive with a kick. Obviously, you hope it's your field goal kicker or your place kicker doing that. But you know, can you make sure that you know you are punting the ball and not turning the ball all, turning the ball over at such the alarming rate that you were last season? Uh, I brought up the baseball analogy quite often. Of you know, make sure you're not having the backwards looking K's. Make sure you're at least putting the ball in play. It might still be an out, but you know, do you at least? survive and live to see another down, live to see another series. Don't have, and I know this wasn't on Mahomes last night, but don't have the back-breaking pick six like, like you saw. Um, so I think those are things that 
you're going to be looking for. And and I know I'm getting into a little bit of a longer list, but I'm just fascinated, Jimmy, to see how he reacts to being an NFL quarterback. I mean, yeah. there's so much that comes with that. Uh, there's so much unscripted nature that comes with that. Uh, okay, Anthony Richardson, you know, this is no longer a red zone period, and then you're going to go watch the – special teams unit kicking around for 10 minutes and you're going to go talk with Jim Bob Cooter and, and, you know, and your quarterback's coach on the sideline. Like, no, no, no. I mean, there are consequences for your actions now, good and bad. Um, How do you play with the lead? How do you play from behind? How do you handle a, you know, 45 second situation with one timeout and you need to get a field goal before halftime. You're down a score lately. All of those things. uh, Really, really curious to see how he handles that. And more importantly, or maybe most importantly, there's going to be a welcome to the NFL moment at some point in time. How does he respond from that? Eddie's given me the rap sign, but he also regrettably put an idea in my head before the segment started. So we are going to go over here. Last question for you. Uh, Max Bowen, did he set the tone for a Jaguars win and take us through that process? Knowing we probably only have like a minute or two here of him making the helmet pick. Yeah, my, my nephew, Teddy Lovers, has these mini NFL helmets. So um, I said, you know what, let, let, let's make some picks with Max this year. Let's see you know, if he can put some money where his mouth is. And as Max turns one tomorrow, we got out the Jags helmet. We got out the Colts helmet. He crawled. Uh, it seemed like at times maybe the Ursa family, you know, family might have been paying his sister to prop that Colts helmet a little bit closer to him. <laughs> but nonetheless, there was a late surge from Jacksonville. I thought he Gronk spiked it. Some people are saying – that he was throwing the Jacksonville helmet away to pick the Colts. But if you are going off of Max Bowen's pick, uh, Jags money line was what he said yesterday. So we need two Bowens to be wrong and the entire station to be wrong to end a 10-year drought. I think that's a recipe for success in my mind. KV, have a great weekend. Enjoy it, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, have a great weekend, boys. Thank you. It's Kevin Bowen. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. And of course, 7 to 10 a.m., the wake-up call with KB and Andy every weekday here on The Fan. Feel like Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. A disc jockey now. Podcast audience can't hear it, but Secrets by The Weeknd. Off his album Starboy from 2016. It's a great song. Talking about, you know, necessarily being unfaithful or not, trying to keep secrets. You know, it's 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 a whole, whole thing. Great song, anyway. But, uh... Weird segue, I know, as we bring in no secrets lost necessarily with the FIBA World Cup. Definitely not for Magic Johnson. Not, it's not our next guest. That'd be something. I'm sorry I undersold our top billing here, but I wanted to ask our next guest, one Tony East, who deserves better billing than Magic Johnson. That's right. I said it. I'm not afraid. Uh, is there anything more on brand, Tony East, before we dive into the game uh, that took place earlier today than the following Magic Johnson tweet just being pinnacle Magic Johnson tweet? Just watched the USA men's basketball team play Germany in the FIBA World Cup, and I was very disappointed we lost 113-111. Now, instead of playing for gold, we will play for bronze. I do not understand his Twitter account at all. <laughs> that is like, hashtag I, analysis. That's what it is. If I, did, if I didn't know it was actually him, I would have thought it was someone impersonating him. I I'm almost think that he knows about the bit now and just continues <laughs> to just be as, as, as Captain Obvious as possible on Twitter and still run the game because he's Magic Johnson and doesn't like magic, you know? 
if you if you used an AI generator to like write a tweet like Magic Johnson would write a tweet, they would be exactly the same. There's I no way the there's point. not already an AI Magic account, like a like a, a secondary troll account out there somewhere. Uh, his analysis segues to your analysis. One thirteen, one eleven, Team USA gets bounced by Germany. Do they not have high quality cameras for the FIBA World Cup? I didn't like the score bug. I felt like I was I was miles away from the court. Like has 4K technology not yet reached uh, the pinnacle of what FIBA has to offer? I don't know much about the uh, the tech installations in uh, <laughs> Mall of Mall of America Arena or whatever it's called. I probably just got that wrong in the Philippines. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's more zoomed out. It's more jerky. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I kind of like that though. Like I like when the games feel like not NBA because they're sure. so much different beyond the basketball. Like even the production is different. Take us through the loss. What stood out to you the most? I know like many situations when team USA has been down throughout this tournament, they're able to make it interesting and put up a bit of a fight to the point where you're like, yeah, they might be able to rally back and pull this off. But you stressed it on Twitter. This is a Germany team dating back to Eurobasket a year ago that very, very tough discipline side they end up moving on. Why, in your mind, does Team USA go home outside of how Germany is constructed? Yeah, same thing that caused Team USA to lose on last Sunday to Lithuania, right? The same kind of blueprint is required to beat them. One is three-point shooting, right? Lithuania, that game, made their first nine. Today, Germany went 12 for 25. They were making the threes. Andreas uh, Obst was uh, was on fire, of all people. He actually dropped Tyrese Halbert with a beautiful fake late in the game that actually probably sealed it for Germany and rebounding rebounding has killed this team USA team. Jaron Jackson jr. Has been terrible on the boards. He's the starting center. He's had foul trouble. He's had rebounding problems. That's been a significant problem for this team. And so this Germany team that starts Pacer center, Daniel Tice and uh, this guy Voigtman, who's really tough down low as well. Like on the class, they're just better. They had 12 offensive rebounds. They won the second chance points by 17. That's exactly how team USA lost to Lithuania, the threes and the rebounding. And, they're so fast when they're at their best, this Team USA team is. Their three-point shooting is great. They shot well from three today, but when they're giving up all these extra possessions and their their efficiency advantage goes away, they're a lot more beatable, and their depth wasn't as valuable today. Going back to Magic for a second, but not the tweet, Magic <laughs> the player, uh, FIBA World Cup Twitter account a couple days ago highlighted a great performance by Tyrese Halliburton, 18 points, six from beyond the arc, four boards, five assists, three steals, one block. And they had the tweet as successor of iconic stars. Tyrese Halliburton takes over the point for Team USA. They got some of the greats up there, right? Magic Johnson, Allen Iverson, Jason Kidd, uh, more modern names as well, Chris Paul, uh, Derek Rose, Kyrie Irving, like it, he is supposed to be the successor, at least from that tweet. I know it's probably a little too early in the process of Team USA to put that crown on him for, say, you know, the Olympics next year, but a lot to be happy with in terms of what he was able to display in the FIBA World Cup, correct? 100%. If, this, if there's a stage to get your name out there beyond the NBA, this is it. And he was one of the best players. I mean, in terms of consistency, maybe the best. For Team USA throughout this process, Anthony Edwards was probably the best player. Uh, but he even had some down performances in there. And, and everybody, even people texting me, not like in the league or anything, but people watching these texting me like, why isn't he playing more? Why isn't he starting all this stuff? Like, because he was playing that well. His passing was phenomenal. Even today, eight assists in the loss. He was setting up his teammates. Steve Kerr turned to him. They were losing in the 
They need to shake things up. They put Halliburton in with the starting five, right? He showed pretty unequivocally that he can play with stars. He can make other people better. And even like with the Pacers, he has to score. When he doesn't have to score, he can still be phenomenal and be a really high-impact player. Like there's that clip when Team USA is playing New Zealand and FIBA has these cameras right above teams for their timeouts for this tournament. And the New Zealand coach is stressing to his players so clearly, Halliburton's in, Halliburton's in. You have to be ready for these passes, those hit-aheads, the high-paced play. Right, he's becoming that kind of player, one that has a style that he's known for and can be a high-impact guy that you have to pay attention to. And despite Team USA not coming home with the medal they're going to want, I think he himself had a good tournament and kind of put his name really on the global map. Is the footing there, I know it's so early and it's a whole process of whittling down the roster and figuring out who's going to Paris next summer, but did he reach or have the proper footing to make the team next year? Maybe not, obviously not as a starter, but like to be a part of that roster? Is the footing and the foundation there after this? I definitely think so, right? He did the interview with the Olympic website and said, yeah, I want, I want to play in three Olympics in my career, and that's quite the lofty goal because that's 12 years from now. He'll be 35, so he'd have to start pretty soon on that. Um, but I think the thing that makes me the most confident he's got a shot to make it is that he fits really well in the way Steve Kerr likes to play, and Steve Kerr is still head coach of Team USA, so if they want to still have that, you know, quick ball movement, up-tempo kind of style. And they didn't, you know, in the last Olympics, yeah, they had a totally different team, but they had Greg Popovich as a coach. They didn't play that way. Like, that's when Team USA, that up-tempo style, was at their best in this World Cup. Albert's great at it. So if they, especially if Steph plays for the first time and Kerr's the coach, like, who better to emulate that off the bench than someone like Halliburton? So I am almost positive, just given how he played and, the fact that he's in the pipeline now, he'll get invited to be one of guys who can compete for a spot. Being one of the 12 is really hard, right? It, it's a very high honor, but he certainly kept himself in the mix with by being one of the best guys for this team. And they're not done. They still have one more game. I realize now that I just looked up the time for this game that it's a fool's <laughs> errand because there's no way it's going to happen in any capacity, even if I asked you. And I'm still going to ask the question for you of, hey, why should somebody, because I'm certainly not. And by the way, my I'm certainly not was before I looked at the tip was at 430 on the first NFL Sunday of the year. So I know I've already put us into dangerous waters. There's a storm coming and, you know, it, it's it's best to just abandon ship and hope for the best. But why should someone not named Tony East to have the clinical insanity to watch third place game USA Canada at 4:30 on the first week one NFL Sunday of the year. Yeah, for the first time in sports history, Jimmy Cook, the Eastern Time Zone of America is the worst place Awful. to be for, for a marquee sporting event. Horrible. 4:30 in the morning. That's when Germany's been playing a lot too. Because like at least in earlier rounds, they can kind of schedule the games based on when that country would have like their people awake to watch it, but it's the last round. So it's just third place game in the morning, finals a little later. So that's what we get at 4.30 a.m. Um, the, the pitch to me would be one that Team USA is really good and still fun to watch. They scored 111 points today. But the real pitch would be that there's, let me do some math, 20 NBA players in that game. Um, like it's basically an NBA all-star game. Not quite that level, but pretty close with the talent playing. Canada, I think, has eight, maybe seven. I should have that memorized. NBA guys playing for them. And locally, Purdue's Zach Eady is playing for Canada in the World Cup. They've been playing great. They clinched a spot in the Olympics as well. So perhaps a preview of what Team USA's full A squad could be going against next year uh, in Paris. And, of course, Team USA themselves has 
12 NBA players. So uh, the talent level is going to be high. It's a nice North American rivalry. Uh, despite the tip time, I think it will be quite a fun game if I can uh, stay awake for the whole thing. One of the things that Tyrese Halliburton has to work on, work on, Tony, was his defense because you're expecting him to make a, a leap as a leader this year for the Pacers, and that's easily the biggest part of his game that needs to improve. I thought in the FIBA games, I thought he was really good on the defensive end. How important was it for him to play at such a high level defensively uh, in FIBA? Yeah, I thought he did well on the defensive end as well, uh, especially on the ball. Earlier in the tournament, you know, people were, were talking a lot about what he was doing on the end of the floor. Today, specifically, he had his first kind of rougher defensive game. Like he was get, Germany's really good at setting screens. He got swallowed up by a few of those. That possession I talked about where he got dropped to the floor on a three was because he got swallowed by a screen and tried to recover too fast. But in general, I think he had a good defensive tournament, and I'm higher on his defensive growth than some others just because guys who can read the game really well tend to be in the right place and understand what's about to happen or where they can be to help. And I think Albert knows that he's got to be better on the end of the floor, and he can be going into next season. And so part of it is just that I think he has the mental makeup to be a better defender. The other part of it is he's the best player on the team. Guys will follow his lead, and if he's busting his butt and playing hard on defense and making plays – other guys have to. They can't slouch. They have to follow their leader. That's something the Bucks have been very good at for forever. Giannis always is giving it his all on the defensive end, and that team's always great on defense. So not only is Halliburton's defensive improvement good for him and the team, it will kind of be contagious to me. So I think we've seen the first signs of what that could look like, especially on the ball in these international games. Now he's got to do it in the NBA where things are much more spread out and faster paced. Colts or Jags? Whew. I gotta pick the Jags. I can't I? I don't think there's a way to pick the Colts in Game One of a new era, right? Yeah, no. The entire fan picked the Jags, so you know you're not you're you're in good company in theory, I suppose. Tony, I appreciate you. And hey, listeners, at the very least, have an early early breakfast, catch the second half, and start your <laughs> NFL Sunday with third place game Team USA and Canada starting it. at four thirty. Uh, get plenty of rest <laughs> this weekend, my friend. Good talking. Yeah, you too. Thank you. That is Tony East. Always good to have him on the program, covers the Pacers as well as the Fever for SI.com.